we start with the first commandment, and I will tell you there is a lot um, to be said about this one. This is the very first one and very foundational to us. Some good resources that I've enjoyed in this study are um, a book named uh, The Ten Commandments, actually, by Dalma. Um, Great book if you want to read more. Um, and several sermon series, most notably by a guy named Les Newsom, used to be a campus minister. And um, anyway, good, good stuff out there on these uh, commandments if you want to read more than the Bible and get some commentary. Now, um, tonight we're going to look at You Shall Have No Other Gods Before Me. And uh, let's just get to it, read it, and we'll pray again and, and, and get into this tonight. Let's bow and pray. Uh, our Father, help us again to, as we go to this word, to to take it in, uh, as you've knitted us together uh, in the womb, you uh, grow us uh, by your hand and you, and you lead us to places, uh, places of doubt, places of, of um, joy, uh, cynicism, boredom. Um, we, some of us are very tired, um, some of us are very spiritual, uh, some of us are uh, lost some of us are found. We're, we're all over the map tonight, um, and we've, we're in different places day to day um, with you. And so as we, as we look uh, to you, would you help us to run towards you tonight and to, to crash all other um, things in this world that we might worship, to, to break them, to fall before you and repent and, and, and lead, lead us to your throne tonight. If I speak alone, then there's nothing that we will profit, but if you speak to us um, through, through the word, then we would be forever changed, and we'd give you glory. Um, in Christ's name we pray tonight, amen. Okay, so Exodus 20, 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, first question tonight, we're going to look at, you know, those who, those who worship God will thrive. This Ten Commandments that we're going to read is a roadmap to where we're going and uh, where we need to go. It shows us who we are, who God is, uh, and what our problems are in this life. And so the first problem we have is we tend to worship other things besides God. So Let's start with who we are. When we talk about you shall have another gods before me, the first commandment, right there in verse 3, who are you, the you that he's speaking to? Well, you're not your own, first of all. Um, you're owned by the one who created you. He made you. Um, you're a creature, but you're fully formed and functional, and therefore we have this illusion that we are independent, sort of that we have no beginning that we're autonomous, that we're independent. So, uh, but there's moments of clarity that occur in our lives that do show us we are dependent. Uh, think of that maybe some of you have fallen in love, uh, maybe, and have, you, you, you can't see your life without another person. Uh, and, you're, and you're absolutely de- become dependent upon that person. You're knit together, your soul binds to that person. You're not autonomous like you thought you were. Uh, and it's, you've especially known that if you've uh, been heartbroken by the loss of someone you're in a relationship with, be it a loved one or a dating relationship, something like that, um, you know those moments of clarity occur to you where you see how dependent upon you, uh, upon other people you might be. 
Um, you've witnessed maybe the vastness of oceans, mountains. You've seen just how small you are when you look at the star-filled sky up there uh, and, and, and the amazing engineering out there in nature. And you see just how, how dependent you must be upon God all the time. You realize somebody, somebody, somebody made you. You came from somewhere. You've got an ancient history. And, and we are just, we'll never be aware of just how vast our history is and how connected we are to all kinds of things. We'll just scratch the tip of the iceberg. I like to think of my life as like the show Lost. Um, there's so many mysteries. Don't say anything. Yeah, I'm, okay, yeah. I, I'm just going to say, you start watching. Good, good. There's so many mysteries. <laughs> Thank you. I will not spoil it, but I, I have no, no intention of spoiling it. I'll just spoil it by saying there are so many mysteries left at the end of that show. So, is that spoil? Okay. So, we'll, we'll only scratch the surface of the connections that we have in this life. So, I digress. But, uh, therefore, to be human is to be, this is who you are, the first point. You're like an intravenous needle. You're like an IV. You're connected to something, something else. Man was created with an innate, inevitable capacity to lock onto things in order to make sense of ourselves. And we desire to have life make sense. We create a framework to deal with life in which we want to make sense. We all do that. That's not unique uh, to anybody here. We're all doing it in different ways sometimes, though. And so what you connect to helps you to make sense of who you are, what you're doing in life. And so how does the discovery of self in the world work? Well, your discovery of self and place in the world is inescapably connected to what you do in life, what you worship. Worship. And so we're dependent beings. We latch on to whatever is the rock of our world, whatever we can stand upon. The independent things in this world that define us. Ideally, our rock would be God, but it's not always the case that we discover who we are and where we are through God. So let's talk about what is worship. Worship is connected to bonding to that rock in our life, bonding to that thing, hooking yourself up like the IV to something, and it feeds into who you are. Worship in the Bible is always sort of connected to sacrifices uh, in which a way would be prepared for sinners to connect with their creator and their redeemer. It's a way of getting to know God or approaching him in the Bible. That's what worship is, uh, coming towards God and getting to know him, being with him. God in the Bible, though, freely and graciously decides to bind himself to people, to create a covenant with people, a bond. Covenant's a bond. And so who you are is not only owned or created by God, but if you're a Christian or if you're following Christ, then you're redeemed by God. You're bought you're, you're by his grace. He's entered into a relationship with you, and he's bound himself to you. And so you, you as a Christian can worship that God. You can approach him freely uh, with no other mediator but Jesus Christ, and you can know him, pray to him, sing to him, uh, talk to him, and he, and he speaks to you through his Bible. And so worship's going to help you and me examine and celebrate God's covenant bonding to us, and it helps us bond to him. And we're going to see him full of grace and glory and truth when we bind ourselves to him. So, whether you're here tonight and believe in God or not, you've got to agree with the proposition that human beings are made and built to bond. We're dependent upon something. Your soul is searching from birth until death for something to give you meaning, love, and truth, 
and the loss of meaning, love, and truth has led many to dysfunction, insanity, and, and death. Um, that, that's, that's just a fact. Um, we long for that, and when we can't find it, it destroys us. That's why I, I, I said in the, in the uh, first week that the Ten Commandments are our design. They tell us who we are. Uh, and, and the first thing we've got to um, understand is, is worship is who we are. We worship something, and it's got to be God. There's no rivals. We, we may feel the absence of God, and rather than do this hard work of seeking him, the easy thing is to run towards a substitute God, a substitute thing, a, a thing called an idol. Now, none of us sort, sort of bow down to uh, little wooden figurines. Uh, none of us do that, uh, I don't think. Uh, perhaps that somebody is here. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of weird things in college, but surely none of us are bowing down to little statues in our rooms and serving them and expecting them to reward us and help us. Um, big picture, uh, we worship false gods. We bind ourselves to idols. <coughs> worship, uh, when, when I say worship, you might be thinking of the really cool music that our band plays here that we sing to. And, uh, but it's much more, that's, that's moving and uplifting inspirational, but worship happens all the time. Uh, every day, we bind ourselves to things, we give our time to things, we give our money to things and our attention to things, we bond with something. Now, I love how on, you know, the internet today, you know, in our era, there's a, every time you do anything on the internet, it's like there's a share button. Yeah, is that true? Like, you can share it immediately with Facebook. And so, like, if you're, if you're like, you know, watching Miley Cyrus on YouTube, you're like, oh, no, I hope I didn't click the share button. Because you're like, I'd be ashamed that anyone knew that I liked that. But, um, but you know, sometimes you like, you think, well, there's a culturally acceptable thing that I could like and share on Facebook, and it'd be okay. You know, like, uh, so you share it. Because you want to share something that you value. It's just, it's, it's inevitable that we'd come up with a, with a share button as, as people, because that's what we do. We bind onto things, and we value them, and we want to share them. Uh, it's what you do. So uh, we worship. And so what is it that we, we share, that we bind on to? Often it's not God, but it's idols. So I want to say four things about idols. What is worshiping idols? First thing is there's a motive behind it. Um, worshiping something besides God helps us to maintain control. Um, the original sin in the Bible was that God wanted to hold something back from us. He didn't want us to become like him. As that was the, that was the uh, kind of the lie that Satan told. And so sin was our grasping out for control of our destiny. Uh, we wanted to, to be in the club, the God club. We wanted to, to not have God be, be in control, but we wanted to, to seize control. A motive behind worshiping an idol is we want control. We want to help maintain control of our lives when we feel like we're out of control. Uh, secondly, there's a delusion. When we go for this control... Uh, the idol here is typically a good thing. Like, uh, you know, say you want a career, uh, that's, that's a great thing to want. Um, something that, that might give you meaning in life, a career. Um, some of you really want to get, you know, really find that you want a date or a relationship, a marriage. And uh, so you, you might think that, okay, if you want to, like, okay, that's a great thing. But getting religious doesn't equal you know, like forsaking that, okay? You can have these good things in your life and, and appropriately love them and desire them, and they don't define you. They're just good things God gives us. But the delusion is that the idol will, 
be your the third thing, the salvation of you. Um, is that, you know, sort of like, if I can't have this, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to have this. I've got to have it. And so you'll choose between God and that thing. And that's where you sort of sell your soul to something in life. You know, um, you, you wonder, what if I'm alone? And so you, you start, you know, working out. And you start starving yourself. And you, you start, you know, you just... You want to look a certain way, and then uh, passing out because you haven't eaten uh, is not awesome. Um, like, like you haven't slept, you haven't eaten, you work out all the time, not okay. Um, but you're worried about, there's something deeper, something about being alone that, that drives you to feel like, I feel like I've got to be somebody that's desirable. And so um, you need that. And that's idol's going to bring you salvation. Uh, there's an old illustration that's used every, in every Presbyterian church. I'm a Presbyterian minister, if y'all didn't know that. And uh, there's a guy named um, Eric Little in a movie called Chariots of Fire from the early 80s. And uh, he is, he's a, a legendary runner, um, won Olympic gold. Uh, he had a rival named Harold Abrams. And in that movie, Harold Abrams says that he, he, he's a 100-meter runner. And he says, I, and he's honest about himself, and he says, Every time the gun sounds, I have just a little bit over 100 or a little bit over 10 seconds to justify my existence. If he doesn't win, his, he's a failure. He must have it to be saved, to, be, to have salvation in his life. If I don't succeed, he says, I'm lost. You see, the, um, that, that your looks, your athletics, or your smarts are everything. Uh, that's your salvation. So the third thing is your salvation is tied up in this idol. Uh, the fourth thing is the reality is that, th- that these things are enslaving you. That they're, they're actually not giving you life. They're sucking life from you. Um, you're bowing down to them, and they're, they're controlling you. And they fu- we functionally believe all kinds of things in our life are going to save us, but they're false. And so um, you might believe that uh, college is just sort of this parenthesis of your life where you can kind of get away with stuff and, you know, kind of change in the future. You know, you can sort of worship these things now, and you're just going to grow out of it or something. At this, this four-year block of time from 18 to 22 or 26 or however long you want to stretch it out in college is simply a parenthesis. You know, well, the reality, though, of idolatry, the fourth point here, is that living for anything is going to dig sort of these, these paths in your soul, uh, and that... They're going to become hardened and well-worn. And until um, and it's not going to be long until you realize that you're empty in there and, and, and there's nothing. And you're, you're forming this life, this, this character, this identity in these things, and, and they can never live up. And so the capacity for your idols is to blind you to what reality is. Uh, there's a real danger and a reality that is awful, that deceives you and is a hard Thing. And so Jesus has got to come from outside of us to show us how self-deceived we are in ourselves. And you've got, to, you've got to let him do that by approaching him, by worshiping him, by smashing those idols that you discover at his feet. Now, his feet are awesome. They're, they're scarred with nails for people like us that are sinners and idol worshipers. His feet are beautiful. Uh, they pay for that idolatry of me, of my own heart, and of you. 
He's paid for it. And he can bear to hear your prayers of confession when you go to him and talk about all the things you worship, all the other gods you worship. He's not embarrassed of that. He can hear it. So we're going to look at our last point of, of how do we smash the idols? How do we have no other gods, as the, as the commandment is? Um, first, we've got to name our idols. Now, I, I, I was thinking about like how to illustrate this, and, and I thought of you know, one of my you know, uh, Sharknado first, and then I moved away from that, thankfully. Um, and I want to talk about Lord of the Rings real quick. So just a shark, Sharknado random shout out there. Um, now, um, but Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, one character in that movie really bothers me, and it's Gollum, um, and anybody who has the ring, you know, because, like, they become these sort of mindless creatures who serve this ring, and, uh, you know, it's like, when you think about, you know, your idol in life, what is that, what is your ring, you know, like, we think, tend to think of, well, money might be your, your false god that you worship, your, your ring, you know, thing that sort of deceives you and enslaves you and all the things we talked about in the, in the previous point. Um, but I want to I think of like two different ways of thinking about idols. First, you've got your surface idols. That would be something like money. Uh, but then you've got deep idols. You know, what's behind the money desire? You know, what, what's really driving money? Money is just paper. Okay, like why do I need money? There's something in my soul that's driving me to that. So there's a deeper idol. So surface idols and then deep idols, things you're focused on, the thing that serves you, that you've got to serve in your life. And so if money is the idol, then perhaps the near idol or the, the surface idol that you can easily see, deep underneath that is that you've got this desire for comfort maybe or power over the people. And that's the, that's the deeper thing. And so uh, I want to, I wanna, just to, to even start to, to have another God, you've got to deal um, deeply with your sin and be less superficial about it if you're, if you're a Christian. And so you're going to pray over that sin and the, and the deeper sin, not just the surface stuff. Uh, and God's going to work on that. Jesus is going to come from the outside and help you internally. So uh, just a few idols that I want to look at tonight. The first uh, is the easy life idol. Um, now, you know, is it, this could be like, You've got to you, you know you got to play Angry Birds until you beat it, or you got to play the Flapping Bird, um, or you know Snapchat all day long, or what? What you got to just you got to be in on that stuff. You got to be on the on the easy life. Um, you just want to have fun. And so you know when you're 11, you know you didn't have a problem with you know, maybe the sexual sin because Pokemon and Xbox were your near idols. Okay, so like like you're the easy life guy. So um, you know like but easy life um, is going to drive you to manifest that, that idol in the surface ways that are appropriate to your age and stage. Uh, some of us need to realize that we're not growing beyond our surface idols of the past, but our deep idols are merely manifesting themselves differently as we grow and develop. Um, You've got to pray and repent of how you're obsessed with always finding the next fun thing or being in on something, or you're going to scrap God for fun and comfort every time. So maybe the easy life is for you. That's the thing. Secondly, the secure life. Uh, think about why you're in a relationship. Is it merely that, that, is what's behind it that growing up felt unsecure for you? And if you, can, and if you get into a relationship, you can sort of feel that security, the secure life. Uh, you know, how far are you willing to go in order 
to compete for that secure relationship. Because women, you've got to compete for this relationship. Uh, there are more um, legitimate women in college than men. There just are. Okay, so um, w- women have to compete for the men. And so are you willing to always, or do you feel like you always have to feel sexier or, or be uh, better looking or, or, or get sloppier at parties? I mean, like, what is it for you, <laughs> sloppier? Um, sloppier, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? But, you know, the, what the kids say these days, you know, right? Um, we'll talk about what they do say later. But uh, if you pursue men in that way, in that sort of comp- competitive way, putting yourself out there, you're going to end up with the kind of man that that behavior attracts, and that's a warning. And when you feel the, sort of the shame of, of becoming like the person you thought you wouldn't become and never want to be, you're going you're gonna to sort of feel that shame deeply in your heart and want to run for the secure life, and so you're going to run to another relationship because that's how the idol deep down in your soul is manifesting itself on the surface. Into the distorted, deep cycle of, of sin, shame, more sin, shame, rebellion, hardness of heart. It's a death trap. And so you're, you're, you're actually hoping in the very thing that's messing you up to fix you a relationship, a secure life. You want to get thinner. Uh, why? Because you want the relationship. The surface idol may be body image, and I feel very passionately about getting to the heart of that, what's behind it. The deeper idol may be security for you. You want to be where body image can take you. Uh, In 14 years of being around college students, I've been around college a long time. Uh, As a student, as a hanger around in Knoxville, you know, uh, while I was working in a church, uh, going to RUF meetings, um, and then being on campus for eight years, I've seen girls pass out from exhaustion, um, from not sleeping, exercising too hard, not eating at all. It's not because there's a passion for not eating or, or, or for working out. It's the security, the secure life. I want that. There's a deep longing for security. Um, so that's one. Thirdly, um, important life. What's behind the night after night of, of pages and pages of pornography? Um, pornography is everywhere, everywhere. But how rare is it for you to reflect upon what would motivate that type of behavior? On the surface, it's porn, it's sexual sin, but on the deep level, it's importance. See, behind that, um, the usage of pornography is that fantasy that a beautiful woman, guys, would open herself in that way to you. Or for women, it is to be that object of desire. It's to place yourself in the significant and important life to be somebody. And so the warning here for us today is that that's not going to go away. Yeah, the pornography use may curtail in your life if that's a struggle for you today. It may fade into the background and history of your life, but you've got to deal with the deep idol that you worship. Years from now, you may cheat on your spouse because somebody sees you as important and your spouse hasn't, you know, your spouse knows you and all your, you know, you know broken self and, you're, and you haven't, it hasn't necessarily worked out as great as you thought it would be. And so longing for that important life, being the important person when, when somebody notices you when you get 
when you're success, successful at work and you get into that relationship with somebody outside your marriage, that's going to lead you to loneliness. The important life, if that's your, wor- your worshiping, it's going to drive you to despair as well. The idols never, 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 never follow through on what they promise. Fourthly and finally, it's the I'm in control life. At the heart of every idol, behind everything, is we want to be God. We resent that God, that God wants to be in charge. We resent it. We are ex- you know, ab- absolutely can't get, get away from being um, resentful that we're not as in control as we want to be. At the root of our behavior is losing face. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be broken. We, don't want, to, we, we want to be right. And so I see myself going around campus and everyone saying, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm working myself to death. We're working ourselves to death. Why? Because that's a socially thing to do. That's a socially acceptable thing to do. It's to just work hard. And, and, and you know, and overworking is a sort of control because you can't, la- you can't rest. You can't have the appearance of weakness or insignificance or being out of control. So you're going to lie to yourself and beat yourself into an early grave um, because you got to be accepted. You've got to get that next acceptance in, in college or, or uh, graduate school or the job. You've got to work harder. You've got to seize control. Well, warning, though, is that simply not sleeping, not, ex- or, not or over-exercising and, and not eating, uh, you, got, you, can, you may be able to survive a semester on coffee and Red Bull and Monsters, uh, but it's going to kill you, okay? 30 or 40, things are going to stop working uh, for you. Um, and things are going to start to wear out. If you're wrecking yourself now trying to grasp for control, to be in control of your destiny, what makes you think you're not going to wreck yourself in the future? You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, as they say today. Um, you got to say, you got to stop that idol worship, guys, or you're never going to truly flourish. You got to let God be God, and you got to work and rest according to His schedule, which is laid out in the fourth commandment. Uh, it's the I'm in control life. So, the easy life, the secure life, the important life, the I'm in control life, these things, these desires for these things are going to manifest themselves in a multitude of ways here in this room. And so what are we going to do about it? How are we going to, we've named some idols, just a few. What can we do about them? If things um, are really below the surface that we can't see, is there really hope for us? Can we worship God? Can we deal with the idols? So we're going to deal with them. We're going to resolve. We're going to find you know, that there's really, we're, we're broken. Uh, idols promise power, uh, but God does not promise power. And we're in a, in a real tough place a lot of times. Um, you know, uh, if you've seen um, or read The Hunger Games, the first book, um, you know, Katniss gets really down at one point, and she's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm ready, to, ready to die here. I mean, I'm going to die. I mean, I'm actually going to die. And then uh, what's PETA, is that the name of the guy? Peter sort of swoops in and saves her, you know, and she saves Peter, Peter a lot of times. And so, but it's like, they, like there's this resolve, like, I'm, de- is it Peter? Peter. Peter, like the bread, yeah. It's P-E-E-T-A, yeah. So footnote, P-E-E-T-A, not P-I-T-A. Um, so the resolve of accepting life for what it is, as Katniss or Peter did, uh, and the faith of owning up to your powerlessness is sort of the first step. You're admitting you have a problem. And so I've messed up by worshiping this and that. Um, and so there's no idealism about how you're going to get it all right by worshiping the right thing and going to make yourself better. You've realized 
I'm messed up. And I need help. I need, I need somebody to fix me. Secondly, um, you've got to reject that idol. Um, you've realized it, you've worshipped it, now you're going to reject it. Um, we tend to reject things that are bad for us, don't we? Um, we, we start to, to eat healthier. Um, like Sam, okay, my, my great example of eating healthy. Um, we, we don't drive down dangerous streets, do we? Um, there are, you know, just thousands of people worried because they're in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and Atlanta today, worried because their cars are abandoned in bad parts of town. And they're like, oh, I'm never going to see my car again uh, because they, they, had to, they had to stop their car in a bad part of town and walk. We ordinarily stay away from that neighborhood, but yeah, dangerous places we stay away from. We don't run into burning buildings unless we're a hero of some sort. Uh, we stay away from burning buildings. Um, idolatry masks things that are dangerous and curse you so they look like they're going to bless you. But we've got to reject those things. Um, you, know, you know, I don't know how many of you have uh, been broken up. I've, I've you know, been through many, many conversations about relationships and breakups and stuff like that. One reason, like, uh, one, one student just told me, um, not, not recently, but uh, back, in, back in the day, uh, that he had crushed the relationship with his neediness, and his date left him, his, his girlfriend. Uh, and so um, the thing that sort of he thought was going to fulfill all of his dreams and uh, had broken him. And so there's an old uh, sort of quote by C.S. Lewis that if you aim at heaven, you'll get heaven and earth thrown in. You aim at earth, and you get nothing. You aim at the relationship, you're going to get zero. You aim at into heaven, and you're going to get heaven and earth thrown in. It's a, it's a good quote, yeah, for what it is. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. Um, aim at the idol, and you're going to get nothing, though. Um, you're not giving me what I want, idol. Your idol's going to destroy you. Uh, not American idol, but real, these idols are talking about, okay? <laughs> Seriously, these, these idols are um, dangerous, and they're to be rejected. Um, and so all these things are going to hurt you, Jesus says. But So we've got to resolve to know who we are. We're prone to out of worship. We're going to reject those idols. And thirdly, finally, we're going to rejoice. Um, there, there is, when we, how do you, ladies and guys, how do you get your eyes off of a good-looking girl? A better-looking girl walks by. <laughs> right? That's awesome. Um, a better-looking Savior than your idol is going to walk by you. Jesus, okay? Uh, there, there's, a, there's the expulsive power of a better thing in your, that your heart latches onto. Um, there's security in Jesus. If you know who you are uh, and, and, and who he thinks of you, what he thinks of you, there's beauty in that and there's confidence in that. You've got to know who you are without marriage if you desire marriage, and then you're going to become attractive for the right guy. You've got to find an identity in Christ apart from marriage or the thing that you're longing for in your heart, the secure life, the easy life, whatever life, the important life. Um, you've got to, you've got to, and even religious people miss that point. That the gospel is not offering you a new plan to save you. It is the plan. I mean, it, the gospel is the plan. Jesus is already coming to you and saying, I've saved you out of slavery. I've already won your rescue. Now come to me in knowledge that I've come to you without you fixing yourself up. I've saved you. I've not asked you to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to, to save you and bring you salvation. Your idols look good, but Jesus looks better. He's actually better. That's the gospel. That's what you're longing for. You're longing for the secure life. 
And there's no more security than being in the hands of God, the true maker of you, the life that's, that's out there for you in heaven. Uh, and so look at your heart of idols tonight. Smash the idols at the feet of Jesus who set you free by his scarring, his jarring, and his perfect atonement at the cross. Let's pray. Our Father, help us.